0: Good morning, Do do appreciate uh, the continued care of the saints as they asked me about the condition of my ear, praise the Lord. Surgery was successful and uh, the cholesteatoma was removed in full, appreciate continue, continued prayers for the healing of the ear and uh, my hearing capability, right now I can't hear from my left ear so you're talking to me from that side, don't expect me to respond to you. But uh, we came to continue our study through characters in the Bible, and we're in the book of Acts. Last week, Don spoke to us, starting in chapter 6, about Stephen, also known as the martyr, the first martyr of the church. And we'll go back to the same chapter, the same section, and look at another person who starts their appearance there. So, Acts Chapter 6. Act Chapter 6. Now, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a murmuring against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelfth summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. We'll stop there. So we we started with Stephen in verse 5, and the next person in the list was Philip. So today we'll talk about Philip, also known as Philip the Evangelist. He's not called the Evangelist in this passage, but he is titled the Evangelist in um, the last passage we will look about him in chapter 21 of Acts. So evangelist, what does it mean to be an evangelist? Philip the Evangelist. Well... I I wake up in the morning sometimes to my wife's alarm clock. Uh, if I do a good job, I wake up before her alarm clock goes. But if I don't, her alarm clock starts on the news, and so we get to listen to the news. And these days, the news hasn't been very cheerful. And actually, I don't think the news typically is cheerful. Typically, people don't like listening to something good that's happening. They like hearing about all the bad things that's happening in the world. Well, being an evangelist means you're a person who brings good who brings news, but specifically good news. Uh, It comes from the word evangel, which literally means good news, translated in the Bible typically as gospel. Evangelist is someone who's bringing good news, news, but news that are good. And uh, of course, the gospel, we say, is the best news that's ever been heard. And in fact, it's such good news, you can be the most miserable person on the face of the earth, and when you believe those news, you're happy. And uh, just to prove it, we had a great introduction to that this morning in the person of Job. If, uh, if you were here this morning, uh, we started uh, with Job in the dev- devotional. And in the midst of all his troubles, a man whose all his property was taken away, his children were killed, his body was afflicted by a terrible disease, he could say, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And... Uh, he, he thinks about one day seeing him face to face and he, he talks about how his spirit is yearning for that day of seeing his Redeemer. And that's what the Gospel does. In simplicity, the Gospel is spelled out in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scripture. That's the wrapping of the good news telling us that God loved us so much that though we were separated from him in sin, he sent his son to bear our sins and pay the penalty for our sins, that we might be restored to him and can have this relationship with God. And that's the true part of the good news is that we can have a relationship with God. We can know the one who created us. And all these things in this world that are happening are like distractions compared to that, that one fact that God made us, loves us and wants to have a relationship with us. He transcends everything else that happens in life. Okay, evangelist. How does that relate to us? Well, we always want to apply these characters, character traits we're studying to ourselves. Evangelist. Is that something we should be concerned with? Um, a couple of weeks ago, I met a man at the park not far from here, and I mentioned to him, I go to a church in the area, and he asked me what kind of a church. Now, uh, some people will say that our church is a Plymouth Brethren church, but most people out there don't know what Plymouth Brethren means. So I just say, well, I go to a non-denominational evangelical church. Evangelical. That has the same name, right? Evangel, evangelist, evangelical. We call ourselves an evangelical church because we believe in the priority of evangelism or the evangel, the gospel. We believe it's so important. Uh, We really follow what's known as the Great Commission. After Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead, he gave the Great Commissions to the Apostles. And the Great Commission was this, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Preach the good news. So that means we should all be evangelists, right? We should all be sharing the gospel. We should all be bringing good news, the good news that people can have a relationship with God to every person on the world. Okay? That makes us an evangelical church. The reason for it, we have in Romans for us, Paul said, as much as in me... I am ready to preach the gospel unto you that are at Rome as well, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. This message, the gospel that I mentioned, when a person believes it, a wonderful change happens in life. All they have to do is believe in it and they're saved. It means they're transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. They go from being, apart from having God in the world, into such a close relationship with God that they're considered to be in the Beloved, in the Son of God. We sing, As is His love for the Son of God, so is His love for me. That's how incredibly close our relationship to Him becomes when we simply believe the message. That's why the priority of sharing the Gospel with people. Because if people believe that message, they're safe. Saved, As we were singing a minute ago. All right, well, now, As we look at an evangelist, we should acknowledge that there is something called the gift of evangelism. And certainly Philip had the gift of evangelism in Ephesians chapter 4, I'm sorry. Yeah, Ephesians chapter 4, it says, and he, talking about the Lord Jesus himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So, some were given the gift of being apostles, or really, they were given as a gift to the church, of being apostles. Some were given as gifts as prophets. Some were given as gifts as evangelists. Okay, so not everyone has the gift of evangelism. However, we're all given the Great Commission, the responsibility to evangelize. So, how does it work? Well, it says in the, in the that Second section of the verse that I read, that it's that God is giving these evangelists as a gift for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So God is giving the evangelists to the church to help equip the believers. And um, one way I see it is recently my wife and I bought a book about an evangelist from like a hundred years ago. And you see, you hear in the book about him going and doing things and all the wonderful ways God is using him to save people. And you know what that does to us? It encourages us. Like, wow, this is really wonderful. I want to experience the same thing. I see some of the ways he's doing it. I'd like to do the same thing. Try the same thing. See if it works for me. If God uses me in the same way to save people. And in that sense, as we look at Philip as an evangelist, we want to take encouragement. Okay, how is it that God was able to use Philip as an evangelist? How can I use it in my life? to become a better evangelist, recognizing I may not have the gift of evangelism, but God gave us people like Philip to encourage us in our own evangelism. So let's look at Philip as an encouragement to us in our own evangelism. How can we be more effective evangelists? How can we witness to people more effectively? Well, the key for that is in the passage we already read. okay? And that was the prerequisite given. So if you uh, remember the story that I just read, uh, there was an issue in the early church. There was division arising because the distribution of the good wasn't perfectly even between the Hebrew-speaking, uh, widows and the Greek-speaking widows. And the apostles realized, boy, you know, this, this calls for a new ministry. Okay, we're we'll stretched to the limits. We're teaching people the Word of God. Uh, we're involved, uh, in prayer, seeking God's power for the things we do. This will be too much. We need to give this ministry to somebody else. And they tell the, the brethren, the Christians, look among yourself, in verse 3, therefore brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And right there you have the key for effective evangelism, being full of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be full of the Holy Spirit? Well, um, we talked about it a little bit this morning. It's it's neat how God works all things together for good. But uh, if you were here for Sunday school, we talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, let me read you just some of the verses about it. First of all, the specific verse that talks about being filled with the Spirit is found in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, Therefore do not be unwise but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, we must know that we're all, we all receive the Holy Spirit the moment we're saved. That's one of the strong teachings of the Bible. When we're saved, God gives us the Holy Spirit. And that happens to every believer. And yet, here we have a command to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which means this is not the same as receiving the Holy Spirit. Or well, God wouldn't have to give us a command to do it. Right? I, can't, I can't take the Holy Spirit and put him within me. But now that the Holy Spirit is within me, I have a choice. How do I respond to his influence in my life? And there's a hint for what it means here, because it's compared to wine. The way wine has an effect on a person, which is undesirable, we should be affected by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit should have an effect on my life. And in case that's not clear enough, there's a couple of other verses. One is in Romans chapter 8. Paul says, "...for if you live according to the flesh, you will die." But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So he talks here about being led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given to us. The Holy Spirit is trying to prompt me to do different things. The Holy Spirit was given to me to help me live the life that God wants me to live. But the Holy Spirit doesn't force me to do anything. He just brings the influence. I decide whether I respond to that influence. And similarly, we have for us in Galatians, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. As we were looking at the passage in 1 Corinthians, we saw that the Corinthians were carnal. They were yielding to the influence of the flesh. They were living fleshly lives, lives that were self-centered. Instead, for, instead of Christ-centered, instead of being led by the Spirit of God, we have a choice. We should choose to live Spirit-filled lives, doing the things that the Spirit wants us to live. And that's, we will see, is the key for effective evangelism. Okay. Just, uh, focusing once again on the Holy Spirit, I think we tend to not talk as much about the Holy Spirit, uh, in this church as perhaps some churches, and maybe the reason is in some churches the Holy Spirit is being used to justify things that have nothing to do with the work of the Holy Spirit. But uh, the Holy Spirit is really a critical part of our salvation. When John the Baptist came and he was baptizing people, and people came to him and said, hey, are you the Messiah? And he said, no, I'm not the Messiah. He used this, he said, I baptize you in water, there come one behind me, mightier than I, whose shoelaces are not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. so right there, with the very introduction of the coming of Christ and the work that Christ was going to, to be doing in the world and in the lives of people, the Holy Spirit was being given center stage, and uh, there, there were prophecies in the Old Testament about the work of the Holy Spirit associated with the Messiah when Jesus came. And in fact, in his last night with the disciples, he said this, But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things, your heart, so has filled your heart. They were sad because Jesus was living there. And yes, that was a sad thing. They were justified to be sad. But Jesus said this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. He said, it's better for you that I go away and the Holy Spirit comes. That's how critical the work of the Holy Spirit is in the life of a believer. It's better for us as believers here in Calvary Bible Chapel that we were given the Holy Spirit than for Jesus to personally be in this church and teaching from the pulpit every week. It's better to us that the Holy Spirit was given to us. That's what Jesus said. Um, After Jesus rose from the dead, and uh, in his final instructions to the believers, before he left them, ascended to heaven, he said to them, uh, this is in Acts chapter 1, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So again, at the very end of his ministry, talking again about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the key here is, the believers are instructed to just sit down and do nothing until the Holy Spirit comes. Until the Holy Spirit comes, they couldn't live the lives that Jesus wanted them to live. They couldn't be the witnesses that Jesus wanted them to be for him. And so that's how critical is the Holy Spirit is for us to be able to evangelize, live out the Christian life the way God wants us to. in general, but particularly being filled, because we saw it doesn't happen automatically. You have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You have to yield to the Holy Spirit to have this, this actual help to live the Christian life, and particularly to be an effective evangelist. Okay, uh, so... I, I found eight uh, different areas in which I see evidence of the activity of the Holy Spirit in the ministry uh, Philip, you may find more, but we'll just go ahead and go through them in the time we have left to us. Okay, the very first act we see um, Philip is doing is kind of passive here. You don't see him specifically doing it. But remember, the brethren were sent out to look for people filled with the Holy Spirit, people in whose life it was evidence the Holy Spirit was active. And uh, they found Philip, well, he doesn't automatically become... Uh, a person involved in this new ministry, he has to accept it, right? They have to tell him, look, there's a new ministry opportunity, Philip. You get to serve on tables. <laughs> there's, there's widows that don't have enough and some people have provided some money. We need someone to go and, and, and give them the money, give them the food, serve tables for these widows. And Philip could have said, you know, that doesn't sound like such a great ministry to me. I'll, I'll wait for the next opportunity. See see, see, what's the next ministry that opens up. Here. He doesn't. He takes this ministry. And that's really the first sign of being uh, spirit-led or spirit-filled here in Philip, is really willing to take any ministry that the Lord is going to give him an opportunity to serve. Uh, We mentioned how there is this battle of the flesh. There is this self-centeredness. A lot of time, I want to have a ministry that gets noticed. I want to stand up where people notice me. And when I serve the Lord, I want everybody to see. And at the end, I want everybody to go like this. No takers, okay. Well, that's the flesh. That has nothing to do with the Spirit. The Spirit cares about Christ, revealing Christ. cares about the saints, the health of the saints. And so the Spirit will take any ministry, that's any way I can be a blessing to people, I will take. That's, that's Philip being led by the Spirit, being Spirit-filled. Now, it's neat to see this in First Timothy, about this particular ministry of serving tables, which, by the way, is translated deacons in the, in the uh, New Testament. It says in 1 Timothy 3.13, For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. A lot of time, God will give us a ministry, and that ministry is just to get us to grow in the faith. God gave this ministry to Stephen and to Philip, and to them it was an opportunity to grow in the faith and in boldness in Christ. And it's interesting that after this chapter, the next two chapters are about deacons. They they stepped up to the plate, they took this ministry of serving table, and the next chapter we see Stephen standing up in front of their whole Sanhedrin and professing Christ. And yes, being martyred, but starting through it, uh, the persecution that led to the spreading of the gospel. And the next chapter we'll see in chapter 8, we have Philip, which is again a person who accepted this responsibility, this job, took whatever opportunity he had to serve, and the next thing we see is great things are happening in his life. So the Lord a lot of time, will give us a ministry that may not seem so stellar, but that ministry will be an opportunity to grow in our service for him and become more effective for him in other ministries. Okay, uh, let's turn to our next passage, and that's indeed chapter 8. And Don introduced us to this last time, the fact that after Stephen, a persecution arose, and as a result, believers left Jerusalem where things just got a little too hot for them, and they started preaching the gospel in other places. So, Acts chapter 8 and verse 4 Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed, and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. So first notice where the good news comes, there's great joy. And, uh, what peculiar is, what is peculiar to Philip in this, uh, disbursement that happened, believers were leaving Jerusalem and were going everywhere is Philip is the only one recorded to go to the Samaritans. Now that's significant because Philip was a Jew and Jews did not like Samaritans, because Samaritans were half-breeds with Gentiles, which the Jews didn't like either. But somehow they disliked the Samaritans even worse for being a half-breed between Jews and Gentiles. And they had some perverted doctrines, like the place they should worship was a different place other than Jerusalem. And because of it, Jews would walk miles out of the way to avoid going through the area where the Samaritans lived when they were traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem. And uh, they called when they wanted to... Uh, make someone feel really bad. They said, you are a Samaritan, which is what they called the Lord Jesus. You're a Samaritan and have a demon. And it's a question whether they thought being a Samaritan was worse or being demon-possessed was worse. But uh, So that's how Jews felt. And yet, Philip goes to the Samaritans. He realizes, yes, in spite of all these natural feelings that I have for them, they need to hear the Gospel too. These are people that God loves as well. And he goes to them. And that, again, demonstrates the spirit. God so loved the world that he gave up his only begotten son so that whosoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. That's the spirit. The spirit loves all. There's nobody that's accepted. We have a tendency to sometimes want to um, reach out to one kind of person rather than another because they're somehow more attractive to us. James says this, My brethren... Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparels, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in this good place and say to the poor man, you stand here or sit down here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren. Has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? We sometimes want to reach out to somebody that's in maybe the same status level as we are or maybe someone at a higher status level than we are. We don't often go to the poor and trodden of this world and try to reach to them with the gospel. And yet... It says here, hasn't God chosen those? Don't we see more people saved among the poor? A lot of times we're not effective in our evangelism because we're reaching to the wrong crowd. Try lower. Maybe you'll see more results. Next thing we see here, and uh, we'll see it in the next passage too, is that it says Philip preached Christ to them. And uh, something we need to remember in our ministry to people is the Holy Spirit's priority is to reveal Christ in us. Paul said this. He said, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. What the Holy Spirit wants to do with you is reveal Christ, because that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He wants to reveal Christ to the world. So really, if you want to minister to someone, if you want to reach out to someone, the key is, are you revealing Christ to them? And it's in two ways. Obviously, our words, our preaching, we should tell them about Jesus. And that's clearly what Philip did in this passage. The other is, I should be revealing him in my life. If my life is inconsistent to the life of Christ, it doesn't really matter what I say. It doesn't come through. So that's that's the uh, third, if I'm if I'm keeping my count right, that's really the third evidence of the work of the spirit of life in us, in our ministry, is he's revealing Christ through us. He was revealing Christ through Philip. Let's go ahead to the next uh, main passage about Philip. That's also chapter 8. We're going to skip the section about uh, Simon the sorcerer. We'll let uh, Matt tell us about it next week. But uh, Philip had a great work accomplished among the, uh, excuse me, among the Samaritans. Okay, he he, uh, they, he went to the village, the city. He preached. There was great joy. People were being saved. Uh, just to kind of close up that section, in verse uh, 25, we actually had the the apostles came. Uh, Peter and John realized what a great work was being done here among the. Uh, Samaritans and so they follow up on the work in verse 25 it says so when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans so a great work was started by by Philip among the Samaritans well Philip didn't get to finish that work in verse 26 we're told now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem To Gaza, this is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Cadence, the queen of the Ethiopian, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I understand unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb silent before its shearers. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, They came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord cut Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azototh, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. All right, so here we have the story about the Ethiopian eunuch. And uh, just the first thing to notice here, first, next evidence that Philip is being spirit-filled, or this is a spirit-filled ministry is the fact he's obeying God. He's obeying the word of God. Now, in his case, it was first by an angel of the Lord. If you notice in verse 26, it says an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. And then in in, in, uh, verse 29, we have the spirit said to Philip. In both cases, it doesn't matter how God's word is transmitted to him. He obeys it. And that's really the greatest uh, way of seeing if somebody is spirit-filled is simply this. Are they obeying this? Are they obeying the word of God? It doesn't matter how it's transmitted to you, whether it's an angel speaking to you or the spirit speaking to you, or God in his word. You're not going to find a more complete, more certain uh, revelation of God's will for you than the Bible. So that's really the, the simplest way of saying am I being spirit-filled? You know, Or if I want to be spirit-filled, what do I need to do? It really starts and ends by obeying what God says in his word. Uh, so that's number four, really obeying the Word of God. The, the fifth mark I noticed is the evidence of God's power in our ministry. I don't know about you, have you heard of a phrase uh, called divine appointment? Have you ever seen a more divine appointment than this one? I mean, think about this. Uh, Philip is in the desert. There's no reason he'll find anybody in the desert. He does find somebody but that person seems to be the last person who will want to talk to him, right? He's a Gentile. He's a really high official in a faraway kingdom. There's no reason to think this guy's interested at all in the things of God. As it happens to be, this is a person who's been seeking God. He traveled all the way from Ethiopia, maybe a thousand miles to Jerusalem, seeking God. He didn't find God in Jerusalem. So now he's returning, studying the Word of God and searching for God in the, you know, in the Bible. He happens to be reading from Isaiah 53, Which is one of the clearest pictures of, of Jesus in the Old Testament. And he's asking Philip to explain to him what it means and, you know, who is the, who is the author of the Bible talking about? Okay. And all that Philip has to do is open his mouth and say Jesus. And obviously saying, saying a lot more things about Jesus, but it's a divine appointment. And brothers and sisters, without divine appointments, our evangelism is absolutely ineffective. We can't do anything. Unless God is doing it. And that was the case here. In, Philip was just being a mouthpiece. He was a tool as we were talking about in our first Corinthian class. He was someone God was using to share the, the gospel. But God was doing the work. God is the one who's been working at the heart of this Ethiopian, bringing him hundreds, if not thousands of miles, and having him reading at exactly the right passage as he was passing by Philip. Okay? So without God's work, we can do nothing. That's the other mark of a spirit-filled ministry is you see God's working because we can't do it. Okay, God has to give the increase. Well, we can plant, we can water, but only God can give the increase. <clears throat> the next evidence, next evidence we have here, and that one again you have to kind of read between the lines, is confidence in the Lord for the work that he calls us to do. Philip didn't know what was going to happen. He was called to go to the desert. He could have been thinking, oh, you know, this particular angel must have had things a little bit wrong because, you know, there's nobody in the desert. Why leave this great ministry that the door that the Lord has opened for me in Samaria and go to the desert? There's nobody there. Okay, well now there's somebody there, but that person will never want to talk to me. I mean, and he's riding a chariot. What kind of entry will I have into witnessing to a person like that? He had to have confidence that the Lord will do the work. For Philip to even go about trying to witness to this guy, he had to trust the Lord. And in the same way for us to serve the Lord, whether it is in evangelism or other ways, we have to trust the Lord to provide his power because, you know, brother and sister, to be honest, we don't have it. <laughs> we can't do it. Okay, so we have, but the work the Lord is calling us to we have to trust that the Lord will provide. Without it, we're not going to get anywhere. We have to put our foot forward Trusting, well, God, this is your ministry. You called me to it. You will have to provide the power to make this happen. All right, the next, next, uh, next evidence of a spirit-filled ministry I mentioned here is humility. Now, this is the only place in the Bible I think we have evidence of teleportation. I don't know if you notice it, but, uh, in verse 39, they, they were both in the water, right? Philip was baptizing the eunuch. And it says, now when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. How did it happen? He was with him in the water. Now they're coming out of the water and the guy is gone. And in fact, we're told that he was next found in Azatoth Which is 20 or 30 miles away, right? You know we didn't have the technology that Star Trek has, but (laughs) but God took this man and and He placed him 20 or 30 miles away. Why is God going to do something so extraordinary with this person? Why not just let him, you know, finish up his exchange with the Ethiopian eunuch and whatever, and then tell him all right, next place I want you to go is Caesarea. I mean, God could have done that. And, you know, hopefully Philip would have obeyed. The only reason I can think of God doing it is the same way that God yanked him really out of the middle of this work that was happening in Samaria and sent him to the desert. God is yanking him out of this great salvation of this Ethiopian eunuch and puts him somewhere else. I think God didn't want him to get a big head. You know, there was success that was happening. He was doing great things. And you know, maybe it wouldn't have been good for him to find out just how great and important of a person he just led to the Lord, and the impact this person might now have in Af- in, uh, in Ethiopia or Africa. God, God wanted to keep Philip humble, and uh, Paul explains why for us in Second uh, Corinthians chapter twelve. Paul says this, and and this is because Paul was given such great revelation of God's work in the gospel. I mean, he, he he says this, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. We don't know what it was, but again, because Paul just had so much knowledge, so many things God revealed to him, he would tend to be exalted. He, would, he could have gotten a big head out of it. To prevent it from happening, it says, a thorn in the flesh was given to him. We don't know what it is. Maybe it was bad eyesight or maybe it was some sort of pain. Whatever it was, it bothered him so much that in verse 8, he says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. He asked God to take away this thing that was afflicting him. But God said, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect. In weakness, Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for sake, For when I am weak, then I am strong. The reason that we have to be humble, <clears throat> that God doesn't let us get a big head, is if we're proud, God cannot use us. For God to be able to use us, it has to be very clear that he is the one that's doing the work because he is the one that must get the credit and the glory for it. He's not doing all these things through you so that you will be glorified and think of how great of a person you are because you're not. It's really all his greatness and he wants to make sure that that's clear. And the only way that happens is by keeping you humble and making you realize that this is not me, this is the Lord. This is all the Lord's work. <clears throat> and... Uh, I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised by how much God has done through us. I think God is not letting us know everything He's doing through us for this very same reason. To keep us humble. To not think that we're so great that the things that God does through us are somehow our work. To realize that these things are really His. He has to keep us humble and I think we'll all have, or many of us will have a good surprise when we get to heaven, how many things more the Lord has done through us than we actually realize. <clears throat> okay, the final thing I have, and I listed it as number eight, if I, if my count was incorrect, uh, please forgive me, is in Acts, uh, chapter 21, is the last passage we have about Philip, if you remember. He was headed to, uh, uh Caesarea, and that's where we find him, though probably about 20 years later. So uh, it took him a long time to, uh, witness to everybody and save everybody on the way to Caesarea. But in Acts chapter 21, we find him there in verse 8. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judah. And I'll stop there because really all I want you to notice is who is which with Philip and what is their state. Um, I think I've mentioned in the past that uh, recently I've become interested in re- in revivals. Now, revivals isn't something that you specifically find in the Bible, at least not called this way. They're really historical events of where you had a low ebb of the church. You had Christians that were not really on fire for the Lord and you had... Uh, a worldly society around them that had no interest in the things of God. And uh, all of a sudden, things change. The believers start getting excited about the Lord. And it it gets so good that unbelievers starts getting affected. They get saved. And the whole society starts changing and the crime level drops and policemen are out of work because of the change that God works in the society. Revivals and... Uh, <coughs> I remember talking to uh, Brother Stephen about it maybe a year ago or a few months ago. And uh, Stephen pointed out to me that as believers we have a, a responsibility for a personal revival in our lives. A personal revival in our lives. I can't affect society. Oh, I'm limited in how much I can affect society. I'm limited in how much I can even affect other believers. But I am responsible to obeying the command Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is personal revival. The Holy Spirit is ruling my life. I'm doing what he wants me to say. There isn't anything greater than that in a revival than simply the Holy Spirit possessing the person and leading the person, and you living the life that God wants you to live. That's personal revival. Well, the encouragement I have in this passage is that, and I believe that that's to a large extent how revivals do work, is it has a, um, the word catching is the right word, there's a word we use when people get uh, sick from other people. Contagious. 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 That's what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. I think there's a certain aspect in which being filled with the Spirit is contagious. And that's the, the evidence we have is in this passage. Philip was filled with the Spirit. Well, he had four daughters filled with the Spirit. They were prophesying. They were exercising the gift that the Spirit has given to them. We see Paul there. We know Paul was a, a Spirit-filled person. Agabus comes he was a spirit-filled person, and he starts prophesying when he walks in the door about what's going to happen to Paul. Being spirit-filled is really the greatest thing I could do to promote revival. If I am enjoying a personal revival, there's a much bigger chance people around me will start enjoying it too. And that's how revival often spreads. Often if you if you research revivals, you find it started really small. There was one person or a few people in a prayer meeting and people got excited and then it spread and other people started praying and people were getting excited. And it starts spreading. Now, it's not that God isn't sovereign and, and there's a real movement of the Spirit that happens. But a lot of time it is through people. When you let the God, the Holy Spirit, rule your life, what can he do through you? Let's pray. Father... Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit, how little we appreciate him and what he does for us. Lord, we pray that each and every one of us might be obedient to the command to be filled by the Spirit. Lord, let us uh, render ourselves completely available to him to fill us and to live through us or to uh, use us for the glory of Christ. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you will you will. Do a mighty work amongst us, that it won't just be one or two, but it might be all of us that will enjoy this uh, revival or filling of the Spirit and all that you had in mind for us uh, when you saved us. Lord, we also pray specifically for the work of evangelism. Lord, we pray that you might raise evangelists in our midst, like Philip, that might encourage the rest of us to be more effective in our evangelism. Lord, bring a great harvest, we pray, from this community. For the glory of your Son, we pray.